Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. This Valentine's Day, toy with your love at the Pleasure Chest. You can count on your favorite sex-positive sex toy retailer for free two-day shipping February 8th through February 11th. Also, through February 15th, you'll get a free Volita vibe with any Fun Factory purchase of $129. That's in-store in New York City, LA, or Chicago, and online at pleasurecheststores.com while supplies last. For those looking for some shopping inspiration during this season of love, you can catch daily live 30-minute mini workshops on the at Pleasure Chest Stores Instagram stories. Tune in for tips, toys, and the live Q&A from Pleasure Chest sex specialists. Those will be February 7th through February 13th at 6 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Central, and 9 p.m. East Coast time the perfect way to brush up on your pleasure IQ before Valentine's Day. To find out more about this and other V-Day promotions, follow Pleasure Chest on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or visit PleasureChest.com. And now, wire people into that with yours truly, Tina Horn. Hey Margaret, what's up? Hi. <laughs> How are you? I'm great. Cool. It is a an unusually gloomy, rainy day Very in Los rainy. Angeles. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. It's very weird. I mean, we need it. Totally. It's very important, but it's rare. Yeah. Very rare. Yeah. And, you know, everybody is a little, is like slightly chilly and slightly inconvenienced and doesn't know what to mm-hmm. do themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very strange. Well, thanks for making this podcast so cozy. I am really excited to be talking to you today. Yes. Margaret Cho, of course, is a person who needs no introduction, but I will introduce you anyway. Beginning with her early days as an up-and-coming stand-up comedian in San Francisco, Margaret Cho has always been the agent provocateur of entertainment. Never one to shy away from any topic, there is literally nothing off-limits when it comes to sharing her views on family, gay rights, politics, sexuality, bullying, and so much more. Margaret's socially aware, no-holds-bards type of comedy has made her both a thought leader and a tolerant teacher for those with open minds and open hearts. An accomplished performer in all formats, Margaret has conquered the worlds of film, television, books, music, and theater. Having been nominated for five Grammy Awards and one Emmy, her comedy tours are a constant sellout both here and abroad. She's had two shows debut off-Broadway, I'm the One That I Want and The Sensuous Woman, and her last stand-up, Sideshow, was filmed at the historic Gramercy Theater in New York City. Margaret has also made an indelible mark in television, starting in 1994 with the trailblazing network comedy All-American Girl. 
Earlier this year, Margaret was named one of the 50 best stand-up comics by Rolling Stone magazine, which called her the sort of funny, sex-positive feminist and LGBT activist younger comics continue to look up to. No surprise then that Margaret continues to innovate. Her upcoming tour, Fresh Off the Bloat, set to start this fall and continue in 2018, is all about the politics of disgust and what is disgusting about politics. Awesome. Well, we love to talk about both politics and disgusting things mm-hmm. on this show. So yes. I'm so happy to have you. Thank you. So let's start with Fresh Off the Bloat. So you've been in the comedy game for a very long time. Mm-hmm. What is special to you about Fresh Off the Bloat? I think it's just always like whatever new material is is kind of, it, it's always you kind of push it forward. Like I think for me, like I've just been touring for so long and then, you know, when you run away new things, it, it's exciting. And, and so doing a show that's really a lot about, talking a lot about representation, Asian American representation and entertainment, and it's very relevant now, especially because of the success of Crazy Rich Asians and so many issues about diversity in film and television, really all of these discussions that we were having during Oscar So White are now actually like we're actually seeing the movies, we're actually seeing the TV shows and and many more to come. It's great to have a show to talk about that and talk about what it was like kind of coming up through that, dealing with whitewashing and dealing with all of the stuff Mm. um, leading up to it. And finding a place of visibility. And so that that's what the show is. You know, not in a lot of like disgust about Trump, which is so crazy. And every day is such a, a new adventure with him. <laughs> so, you know, it's a, new, like, a new ordeal, a new ordeal and a new new. I think actually right now, though, he's probably at his lowest than he's been because mm. everything about Russia and. Mueller, he can't deny anymore. Yeah, you know, and it, and it's it's he's really backed into a corner, and you can sort of see like this whole thing falling apart with the government shutdown. Oh my god! And everything. So there's a lot to talk about in the show, and then that you know that's always going to change every day because it's such a volatile situation, and also where you go, it, it changes too. Doing the show in in different places people have lots of different opinions and that's kind of a fun thing too is discovering that so I, I'm really I'm, I mean I'm, I enjoy stand-up comedy I really like doing it yeah so that's that's what's I think always entertains me like I like the career of it it's very entertaining amazing well yeah. I I can't wait I hope to go see it and yeah. I can't wait to, to listen to it and I'm sure that everybody listening is also really excited that you continue to break new ground in comedy so let me ask you the the sort of sexuality questions that I like to ask my guests. Mm-hmm. So let's start with sex robots. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much thinking you've done about sex robots, but... Well, I just came from Japan mm. where I really love Japan. And I think that they have really erased robots in their daily lives. I mean, there's robots everywhere. Yeah. And so why not sex robots? That just seems like a natural thing like vr and sex robots are like a natural pairing under what circumstances would you have sex with a robot well if you if you have like vibrators and i have so many and i have new technology ones i have once i used to be on the board of good vibrations Mm, cool so i would like kind of decide what was going to go into the stores or what they were going to think about buying or putting all of their sort of like energy behind development you know there were all of these ones that were like about using almost like electricity, like small like shocks to uh, sort of ignite nerves to 
push you towards orgasm. Mm -hmm. And in a way that I think is a very kind of computerized way to look at orgasming. You know, or it's a yeah. very like digital way to orgasm, not using digital, 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 <laughs> not using actual digits, you know, so it's a very different thing. So I think that that sort of satisfies the category of robot. I'm really not into like the, I hate the name too, the womanizer. That's the one that's like a small cup right. that goes around the clitoris. With the suction, With right? The suction? That like creates a vacuum. Yeah. Bad name. We've talked about that on this show before. I hate that name, but I also don't, it does that type of stimulation doesn't agree with me i go for more of a dynamic approach mm. and sort of um utilizing the entire body as opposed to uh the targeted idea your sexuality resides wherever it wants to in your body it doesn't necessarily have to be genital i mean i totally agree and i think that that technology that sex toy technology hasn't quite figured out how to embrace a more holistic or sensual or full body approach do you mm -hmm. think that sex robots might do that for us well sex robots i think have to have to also be varied because it can't just be like um one of those silicone dolls yeah right you know because that's also like to me i mean just because i'm female bodied i don't have a penis so i don't even know i can't even imagine what a penis would be like <laughs> so a sex robot for me, it's it, 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 it's also not. I'm not crazy about penetration. Mm -hmm, you know? So mm -hmm. a sex robot for me may not necessarily take the take a humanoid form. Yeah, yeah, and it it doesn't have to. Yeah, I think it would be more like a console. Yeah, where you could uh, have attachments. Cool. I think I would be more inclined to have like a console. So it be instead of like a robot, it would be more like a hell. You know, like in uh -huh. 2001, like a, you know, more of an advanced kind of like a, a presence, but not necessarily like a, a C-3PO. Right. Like not like a, like an Android, but more yeah. like, it's so funny. I just interviewed a friend of mine named Chingy who was saying that she basically wanted to have her sex toy be like a sentient house. Yeah. And I was like, that's so ridiculous and, and silly. And she was like n referencing a Disney movie where there was a, an artificially intelligent house. But it, it, I mean, that's what essentially HAL is, is, is yeah. a, a spaceship that you live inside of. Yeah. That, and that he's a presence and it's, it's like kind of, it's sort of a, a console yeah. that you have controls and that maybe there's attachments that can be used for it. But attachments also, I don't know, because I'm just not, I'm not a penetration driven. Yeah, but there's a lot of out, outside stimulation that, yeah. I mean, there's nothing that, there's no rules. I mean, that's what's fun about this question is that, mm. you know, you can like use your imagination to imagine like if money was no object, you know, what would you what sex toy would you design is well, essentially because that's what yeah. a, that's what a sex robot is is an advanced mm -hmm. sex toy or super advanced or like a or like a vibrator is a very remedial yeah sex robot yeah it is a remedial sex robot that if you could take it one step further and ask uh, some sort of something like some electro electrostimulation of nerves that sort of like so that if you're sticking something on your skin yeah something that has to do with like temperature and vibration and pressure and to take the kind of human body aspect out of sex that to me mm. would be the the point of a sex robot i love that <laughs> let's just take the humans out of the equation yeah take the the physical body of somebody else out of it all so that if we just re, you know Let's go back in and think about like what is pleasure and what is pleasure for and what's pleasurable and like 
that to me is is really the root of it. You know, like let's just find a way to make a machine that can sort of stimulate stimulate all these things, simulate all these things, but not in a way that necessarily is about sex as for procreation. Yeah, totally. Yeah, sex for pleasure, mm-hmm. pleasure for its own sake. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Okay, next question. Can you name a positive experience that you've had with porn? A positive experience with porn. I was at the AVNs of some years ago, and all of the pride that everybody takes in their work. Totally. And what they're able to do, and winning, and being um, applauded by your industry, mm-hmm. and being able to show up for your your genre, you know, that, that yeah. that's the entertainment that you do. Your field. Yeah, so that, that to me was, was really impressive to see everybody all dressed up. Yeah. And uh, getting very excited about their studios, their work, applauding each other. Um, you know, to me, that, that, that seemed very, I don't know, that, that seemed really heartwarming. The few people who I've known who, who worked in these fields for, for many, many years, whether it's um, Nina Hartley or Tara Patrick mm. or, or um, all those people from Kink or, you know, they, they just, they have sort of this camaraderie and respect for each other that, that's really, that's really unique and really interesting. And they really party. They have a good time. <laughs> totally. So I, I don't know, like, I, I, it's my experience with the people has always been very positive. Yeah, same. Great answer. Okay, so let's talk about Mercy Mistress. Mm-hmm. So I had Yin and Poppy on the podcast early in 2018 to talk about Mercy Mistress. And since then, you have come onto the project as executive producer. Yes. So how do you summarize Mercy Mistress for those who haven't heard of it yet? Well, it's a series about an Asian American dominatrix uh, played by Poppy, and it's actually a Yin story mm-hmm. based on her memoirs. It's a wonderful look into the world of BDSM that is very sexy, very authentic to me, mm. and something that I really understand as being very, very true to life. And and you know, we always sort of think about BDSM, and the images out there are are kind of like they're either like Fifty Shades of Grey, which to me always. I'm glad that that's out there because I think it's great for the mainstream audience to have a taste of that. Mm-hmm. But I also uh, find it to be um, really empty for me. I totally agree. Because it doesn't have any charge. Because I'm like, well, this is a, such an untrue... What I always say about Fifty Shades is that by the time the the movie starts, and we can set the books aside, but like by the time the movie starts, like the fantasy is already happening. And mm-hmm. to me, BDSM is all about the context and that that's actually what gives it its frisson and what makes it so interesting and exciting. Yeah. And to make a, a story that is like already within this sort of like class porn romance, like sweep me off my feet, like ravishment fantasy. Yeah, it feels really empty. Whereas Mercy Mistress has negotiation and has the context of people's lives that bring them to those desires and that brings people together even or especially when the relationship is transactional Mm -hmm. and like what like what deep places they can go Mm -hmm. once that negotiation has occurred or the cash has changed hands or yeah whatever it's like there there's some there's so much more of a story to tell i think when in mercy mistress and and um, so I really appreciate that. I, I love the way that they've done it. And, and, you know, they've done all the work. Now it's my turn to just go in and I would like to create this and, and make this into a television series. I, I think it's it's really perfect for TV. I think it's time. 
And I think it's something that needs to happen. And so that that's my job from here is to make that happen. And that that's going to be really great and really exciting. But um, so now, right now, it's a web series so people can watch. It's on YouTube now, It's on right? YouTube now, which is great. We've gotten really, really great responses from it. And people really love it. And I think that, you know... It's just a natural leak. To me, it's just something that needs to happen. Also, because the fact that Asian Americans are never, ever, there's never been anything like that. You know, that's never been um, something that really puts our sexuality out there, that puts something like the, the freaky side mm-hmm. of everything out there, which I think is really important. So I'm really excited about the future for this project. I really, I really believe in it. And, um, you know, there's so many ways we can, play this out but I I really I think this is just perfect for TV well I think so too and I think I feel like there's a lot of representation of Asian American femme sexuality that doesn't have any subjectivity like from women themselves from Asian Mm -hmm. American women themselves and like what their desire is in all of its messiness and all of its glory Mm -hmm. and that's something that we really need to see yeah where it's a, if it's a, it's a, and then to add the kink perspective in there, mm. I think is really valuable. Sexuality too. from the perspective of a dominant woman who, a dominant Asian American woman who uh, really enjoys it. It's also a, a sort of a commentary on sex work too yeah. that falls out of the weird narrative of like the hooker with a heart of gold. Right. Or like somebody who needs to be rescued from this profession. Right. Like the pretty woman kind of fantasy. Totally. Which is really, I mean, the sex work aspect of it is just it it just happens to be what she does yeah and she actually really believes believes in herself loves her work yeah it's not a means to get somewhere it's not um some sort of a morality tale of like oh look it's what's happened because you know of her life has put her into the situation it's not like that at all it's like it's so much work to be a good dominatrix it's very hard it's very hard i mean having having done it for a long time it's very hard that's actually my number one sex work trope and bdsm trope that really bothers me in media is the idea that all you have to do to be a successful dominatrix is just like be a bitch no it's actually you're like you're like a therapist Mm. but also a teacher but also a surrogate but it's it's more than that. Like there's a lot happening. You go and you almost rewrite programs where you, you're, mm. you're taking past trauma and shifting the energy so that you can have something gratifying happen from it. Sort of yeah. to eroticize these negative things, then and then and helps purge it in a way. It's 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 very complicated. I mean, I totally agree with that assessment. That's been my experience and the experience of a lot of people I know and an experience that we haven't seen enough in narrative visual art like TV and film. Yeah. So I'm excited to see where Mercy Mistress goes. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great. And, you know, being from San Francisco, like this is very San Francisco. This is very (laughs) south of market, but it's actually very New York too. Yeah. So that's, I appreciate it. And we've seen like the BDSM community change so much, especially in New York. Because I remember in the 80s and 90s, there was like the Hellfire Club and mm-hmm. all those like meatpacking district places. Yeah. And all that is really gone or like the Yulin Spiegel Society or, you know, paddles. Everything is like so different now. And, um, but I just, I love that we're going to be able to see this world again. Totally. Actually, that leads me to another thing that I wanted to ask you about, which is that so um, so I lived in San Francisco and Oakland in like the mid aughts and the vitality of all the things that we're talking about 
sex work, BDSM, queer community were so important to my my life and my livelihood there. And I know that uh, that you lived in the Bay in the 90s, and I've heard you speak about that being a time that you were figuring out how to how to create and participate in sex cultures while also keeping yourself and your loved ones safe from HIV and AIDS. Mm-hmm. Can you speak to what the cultures of queerness and BDSM and sex work mean to you now in the age of prep and zero viral loads, but like where we still have so much work to do to keep fighting the plague and the homophobia that's yeah. inherent in it. Yeah. I mean, it's really like it now it's just fighting homophobia and, and fighting sexism and, but all of that, I think the, the, the rise of the BDSM community came out of people trying to figure out what to do with our grief and also figure out how to keep sex powerful and still revolutionary within the parameters of safe sex or like expanding the idea of what sex actually was. Yeah. Which I think it it was all really successful. And uh, one of the great things about, you know, growing up then and and coming out then, you know, it just went above and beyond all of that. And, and, and so now, I mean, it's still relevant. It's still really about creating revolution. It's like figuring out where we, where we are now that we have some kind of a, 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 some autonomy over, our our diseases, our STDs, our fears, our um, paranoias, and like getting these feelings of like, what can we actually do and what can we actually be? I think to me, who was like always really revolutionary around that was like Carol Queen. Yeah. Because she was like playing with like leather daddies. Yeah. <laughs> it was like so intense. That is the best when it's just everything is is not what it seems mm. and that's super exciting that's very queer where we're at with gender and now with so many young people who are just non-binary and and that that there's a space for them it's it's like we're inventing it all over again cool i've had a lot of fun in this journey of like kind of being around all of these communities for so long and and seeing how we've aged very well Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm just so curious about your plans as executive producer and in your role of taking this very queer, very kinky, very from the perspective of sex workers and also Asian American show. I guess I'm curious, like what challenges you foresee and also it in terms of getting it made into a series, but also what are your hopes and dreams for it? Like what's the best of all possible worlds of what can happen with Mercy Mistress? Well, I would love for it to be like Breaking Bad. Like let's just like challenge all of the preconceived notions about what this is and, and, and where these characters are and who they become. 
and what it does. You know, I think like this is a great entry point into this world, but then we can totally be very subversive in a way that that is totally new. And so I don't know. I, I'm very like, I'm excited about just having the world out there. I mean, the, the representation of it is is really political just to begin with. Yeah. So to, to be able to see what they're able to do, it's it's really, I just, I want them to, to give them a pub- public platform so they could just be themselves. Well, yeah. And the other thing that has been so amazing about Mercy Mistress is that not only in front of the camera and the content of the story, but also the crew is largely queer and female and POC. And mm. it seems like that is something that has to be a part of the show moving forward. Yeah. And you can feel that. And you, you, you have a sense of that when you're watching it. And, and I really think Poppy's a real star. Uh, totally. You know, I think that people, they can't stop watching her. And yeah. I think that that's going to be true of the television audience at home. They'll, they'll be really compelled to watch her. She's one of those actors. See, they come along every, pretty rarely, but you know, they almost don't have to speak. Yeah. Because there's so much happening there and and so i i feel like that's really important to introduce her to an audience that is going to really appreciate it yeah i feel that way about her when i'm in her presence i feel like i'm watching her on a big screen and even though she's very grounded and loving she's a lot of fun and she's there's a cinematic quality it's funny like you see them every once was like just for me being in Hollywood for as long as I have I have seen I've met these people over the years and you're like oh you, there's something different and you 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 get a feeling yeah like I had the feeling about Jared Leto like Jared Leto <laughs> like I remember you know meeting him and in like the early 90s and we were both kind of working for ABC and we're like outside of some part <laughs> Jordan Catalano days <laughs> Jordan Catalano but nobody really knew they they nobody really even started watching the show yet and right you know uh, I remember trying to get him into some party at the Waldorf Astoria and they wouldn't let him in. And he's oh like, my God. that's cool. Imagine. And he's like walking away down the street. And I'm like, oh my God, that he's someday he's going to be able to get into any party. <laughs> yeah. So I had, I have the same feeling um, about Poppy, you know, that, that somebody's so enigmatic and then the world is figures it out and, it, and it's pretty immediate. So it, I, that, that, that's really just that brief stopgap it's it's funny there's like famous like iconic stars it's like um all it takes is for the world to get introduced to them and then it's 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 over yeah and that's cool that you have worked so hard in your career that now you can have an official position of introducing people like that to the world yeah and that's really gratifying you know i was able to see it with uh, jonathan van ness who now is a very very big star on um Queer Eye for, queer oh, for the right. Guy. That's right, right. But he was my hairdresser for <laughs> years, and I pushed him to do stand-up comedy because I was like, "You have to, you have to do this." And yeah. he, he, you've he, got that personality. He did, but he's, he, you know, he just he wasn't, and I was like forced him to do it. And now he's like he's selling out shows at Radio City Musical. He's doing a comedy tour. Amazing. So you know, it's like I have a good eye for spotting people who are going to be, you know really really a a big deal in show business so I I, I feel that about Poppy. Cool and I think you probably have a different taste and sensibility than a lot of other people who are in the positions of power to 
quote unquote spot that talent and like put people in positions to yeah. succeed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's good. It's good to kind of know and also have good taste. It, it, it's not a special thing to know, like, if they're going to be talented. It's just, I think that sometimes people in show business are so self involved yeah. that they don't look <laughs> out and see like all of the great things. I mean, that's what I love about working behind the camera or producing is that it allows me to get out of my own way and start thinking about like what what would be good what would actually be good for this person or that person you know that's that's what's really cool cool so there are so many moments in the first season of Mercy Mistress, which you can watch now on YouTube or at mercymistress.com, that as a queer person and as a sex worker and as a kinky person where I saw my experience represented in a way that I just never felt that I had before that could only come from the people making it having had those experiences, just like little ways that Poppy as Yin walks around her dungeon and sort of stages her own scenes within the show. And I'm wondering, can you remember a moment in pop culture or maybe even literature where you saw yourself represented in a way that you never had before that just took your breath away? Hmm. I think like maybe it would be, it would go back maybe to the like, Joy Luck Club. Yeah, that you makes know, sense. All of the stories and the women. Um, and it was such a woman's perspective on all of the different stories. Every, every, every story in that, in that novel and in the movie um, really resonated with me. And, and, um, and also a lot of my friends are in it. Yeah. So it's just being able to see all my friends in these roles was really powerful. And I think that like for me also just seeing Asian American women in these different, and that's why I really responded to Mercy Mistress too, is to see Poppy in, in that strength. In, yeah. And you, cause you usually see like Asian women as being these very submissive, mm. very uh, passive creatures. Right. And she's nothing like that. And that to me made me feel really empowered, which I think is, is really important, you know, so that I think is incredibly exciting. Yeah, I mean, I hope that we don't have to wait another, what is it, 25 years to mm -hmm. have an all-Asian cast. Like, Joy Luck Club was 25 years ago. This year we had Crazy Rich Asians. Right. Like, do you think that we are going to have to wait another 25 years before we see that again? I don't think so. I think that nowadays that it's really understood that Hollywood has neglected that diversity for yeah. so long that it's unacceptable. And, you know, now we're also seeing like whitewashing really very, very rapidly becoming incredibly unacceptable. Yeah. You know, and actors not are not going to be taking those roles. Yeah. And, you know, even somebody like Scarlett Johansson, I think, learned sure. a lesson about this whole thing about trying to play a trans man. Did she learn her lesson? Because first we had Ghost in the Shell and then we had the thing with where she was going to play a trans man and she backed out of that. I mean, maybe that's the sign that she'd learned her lesson. I think the fact that she backed out is is the sign. But that, is that movie still going to get made? That's the thing is that it should. Yeah. And I want it to. I really hope it. I hope it does. Yeah. And they should cast Murray Hill or like, <laughs> you know, they should cast I an actual. Murray. I know. I love Murray too. I love Murray. Murray's a really old friend of mine. And, or Ian Harvey or totally. you know, any of our friends like, but that, that it, it should go to a trans man. Totally. So it's, it's one of those things. It's like, what well, does that movie not get made because it's not a Scarlett Johansson movie? I hope not. I hope not. Well, not with people like you being powerful executive producers yeah. in Hollywood. Yes. So let's make it. I mean, you know, that's that's the thing is that it's not going to 
it's 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 not going to fly anymore all of these things like so now we're really seeing a shift in the way that hollywood views casting and how important it is cool awesome i love your optimism yeah so in a recent interview you called mercy mistress the antithesis of rape culture Yes. And I'm wondering if you can speak more to that. Well, I think that BDSM is really like, you know, in order for this to work, it has to be so negotiated. True. Down to the very last, last detail. So, you know, when we're talking about consent, this is like the ultimate kind of consent. I know that BDSM on the outside, it seems like it's not that, but it is only that. It is, it can only happen with very, very detailed consent. The way that we talk about BDSM is the way that we should talk about all sex, you know, that is negotiated down to the very, 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 like, like smallest detail. And it makes it more sexy because you're really, like, going over it. And, and you can, and but then you can let go mm-hmm. because you've had those conversations. Yeah, and that's the whole point of it. This is a good lesson for people to learn about sex and to, to really get in their head and and to see that we can learn so much from kinky people about how we should behave in the sort of quote-unquote vanilla world. There's so much permission given, especially to men, to rape women and to uh, be sexually inappropriate, to take advantage in multitudes of ways that we've seen so many guys do um, over over many, 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 many millennia. The time to to take the opportunity to to change by seeing how people who really know how to do it, do it. And that, that I think is a good thing for people to learn. I totally agree. I'm wondering how you respond to people who don't entirely, maybe who aren't kinky or haven't been introduced to kink education or culture and who don't understand how, negotiation can be sexy and how the framework of understanding how going to these dark places, pain and bondage and everything else that, that goes into that can go into BDSM fetishism. How, how do you respond to people who say, well, if we talk about everything, then that takes the spontaneity and the fun out of it. Well, I mean, because, but if you don't talk about everything, you don't know what the, then the other person really wants. Yeah, I mean, listen, you're preaching, to the, you're preaching to the converted here. I totally agree with you. Yeah. But it seems to be very hard for people to wrap their minds around. Yeah. They're very resistant to it. Because people like sort of want to think in like magical terms that like we're all going to be of one mind and we're going to somehow know what the other person wants and that real love is really about like not even saying anything that you don't, you don't need to say anything. <laughs> like That's the weird thing about people and their odd ideas about romance and what romance is. Yeah. And uh, what love is and, and also what sex is. You know, sex is, is a physical act that needs to be supported by communication so everybody's clear on what they want and what they know. And to me, it's more sexy to realistically understand what a person is about and what they want as opposed to guessing, yeah. which you just don't know. And with guessing or, or just projecting what right. you want, which is not right either i think maybe people don't want to ask because then they won't get what they want or something or they think that they won't or i mean they it's if people have been raised to feel entitled to whatever they want Mm -hmm. then they don't 
want it, then then it's like very convenient for them to say, well, well, that like takes all the fun out of it to not ask you, yeah, because then. I mean that there's no there's no motivation for them to do that because they're gonna get what they want either way. Yeah, it's or it's, what they think that they want. It, or but then they, they still feel unfulfilled. They anyway. feel unfulfilled, or is it that they just are afraid to talk to women? Is it men that are just afraid to talk to women or talk to women about sex, or that women aren't supposed to know about sex, and so mm. we should just sort of not talk about anything, and you just do it, and nobody says anything. I mean, I think that that's very that that's a true dynamic, and a lot of heterosexual spaces but i also think that that is true for queer people of all kind that there's not enough communication going on between queer people and then the gender dynamics are different but the issues are still there which just says to me the problem is even bigger than gender yeah it's way bigger than gender it's kind of like it's just our like do how we fall into these roles that we've seen on like TV or movies or like romantic stories and then we think that somehow it's all going to fall into place if we don't talk about it but it's it's really something that should be talked about yeah. and it should be very clear I think people are just afraid of each other and they're afraid <laughs> to, to really express desire like and also to so, so somehow expressing desire or expressing the details of that desire is somehow looked at as weak right or, because what it is is making yourself vulnerable and we're often taught that vulnerability is weakness mm-hmm. instead of strength. Right. So that's the, the mistake. You know, like if you compared FetLife to something like OkCupid, mm. something like FetLife, I think, really details everything in, in very clear terms of like desires. Like you have yeah. like the, the words that asphyxiation, <laughs> the breath, breath play. And then... But then, you know, for something like OKCupid, you just kind of have like vague notions of like, I like the books I like, movies I like. Yeah. But you're not like going to like these solid details about this, do this, but don't do this. So I, I think that the kinky people have an upper hand in general <laughs> yeah. because we're very specific about, so you're not mincing, mincing words and you're not sort of like wasting time, I think. Yeah. You get very direct to the point. Not that there isn't abuse in the BDSM community too. There definitely is and it's important to talk about. It exists. And that's something that I think that would be great to explore in Mercy Mistress as well. Yes. You know, that's something that's very valuable to to talk about as I think that that's really interesting and a part of our community that that doesn't get talked about. Abuse has lots of different ways of appearing in, Mm. in, in sometimes abuse looks like BDSM. Right. And when you're on the outside or on the inside. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't, you know, it's really more in the the context and the details and what what these two people want. Or Um, three or four. Or three or four. (laughs) Or family, leather family. I love a leather family. Me too. It's the best. What can be more abusive is a relationship where you don't see any kind of bruise you know, yeah. there, there there is plenty of abuse that happens in relationships that that you will never see the physical scars of. True. Do you have any advice about good sexual communication techniques or dirty talk techniques for getting what you want out of sex? I think it's just about being like very uh, clear and very plain about it where it's just kind of explaining like, well, this is what I like. This is what I think I, I want may, you know, maybe sort of like thinking about like these scenarios. And then I think it becomes sexy because it becomes like these intimate shared kind of details. 
I mean, it also depends on the person that like there's like a charge in it. Like when you're talking about something that you want sexually with something that you're attracted to, there's an undeniable juice there that's <laughs> going to happen. You know, like yeah. it's just, it's just, it's going to, they're going to get gassed up and that's a great place to be. Yeah. But then I think that's where your sort of hormones direct you. And that's a good, that's, I think that's a good directive. Awesome. Great advice. So what are you looking forward to about 2019? I think that it's mostly, you know, trying to figure out where where the these different projects that I have are going to go working as a producer. I'm going to be working a lot more as a stand-up comic. I'm with my show Fresh Off the Blow, I'll be touring more. It's really all about trying to figure out how to impeach him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's it's coming. It's closer than it ever has been. How are how can how can everyday ordinary Americans or extraordinary Americans work towards impeaching forty five? Do you? Think? I think it's just talking about it and also just looking for that to happen. I mean, I think it's gonna he's gonna do it to himself. Mm. And if not, I mean, whatever it's it's going down in history is the worst ever. Yeah. And and I feel like this is what's gonna happen. Is this is going to create uh one of my our most progressive successful eras as a country i think this dark period is actually the launch of something truly great that we haven't even realized yet as a country and so yes when once we um once we rise from the ashes yeah but it's really about getting there you know and and i and, and taking care of one another in the meantime mm-hmm. now also the culture of outrage too in social media has like kind of like it's this boiling point where people are really fighting and it's really, it's, it's really disheartening too. So, and kind of crazy. So it, it, I feel like all of that energy is misdirected. I think we're just frustrated at what's going on here. We can't really do anything about, but it, I think it's going to be okay. Well, you heard it here <laughs> from Margaret Cho. It's going to be okay. Be everybody, okay. Margaret, it is truly an honor to have you on Wire People Into That. And um, I can't wait to see what happens with Mercy Mistress. Where can people follow you if they are not already following you on the internet? I am at margaretcho.com. I am on Insta at Margaret underscore Cho. I am also on Twitter at Margaret Cho. Um, Facebook, everything, all that. Um, always very active. And uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting year. Cool. I can't wait. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.